What's going on, guys? Welcome to River City 93, and this is your host, Elliot Barr. On today's podcast, yes, you saw the correct time. It's about an hour and a half long, but it's full of great content. The first part of the episode starts off with an uh, interview with Coach Micah Ablora. Uh, we talk about his playing time over at Finland, how his coaching career has shaped his life, why he's a lover of education. We talk about the unfortunate game against South Georgia Tormenta, and what the team is doing to get prepared to get back on the winning track that we know they can. Um, in the second part, me and Shanair talk about our unfortunate game against South Georgia Tormenta. Um, we also have some funny conversations about other things going on as well in the world of soccer. So sit back, enjoy, make sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Um, and I'll let you get into it. Joining me on the phone is Coach Mike Micah Elora. I hope I said that right. <laughs> That's close enough. Close enough. Well, that counts. <laughs> yeah. Well, how are you doing today, Coach? Doing great. Well, that's Just good. Just finished watching the, uh, the the Women's World Cup game between the Dutch and Japan, and I thought it was one of the best games of the of the World Cup so far. So. Oh wow! Yeah, when I yeah. last saw it, I think Netherlands was up one nothing. Did that result hold? I didn't check to see. Yeah, they they uh, beat Japan two to one, but I mean Japan had they hit the post, they hit the crossbar. I mean it was it was a really good game. Both teams, I think both teams were worthy of a quarterfinal spot. So it's fun to watch. Yeah, it is. The Women's World Cup has been, I probably say, the best entertainment I've seen out of the Women's World Cup out of the last three that I've seen. So, instead of yeah, thing. no, I would agree with that. Well, yeah, definitely. Well, let's talk about some unfortunate news. This past week, Richmond lost one nothing on what I feel like is a controversial penalty. Do you feel the same way? <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Was it a penalty call? Yes, but Wahab got fouled first. I mean, if you if you look at the replay, I mean, he his jersey got clearly pulled, and I mean, the jersey stretched, and that's why his momentum is to his right towards the attacker. And then I mean, then he just his response to being fouled wasn't the right one. So technically, he did foul the player, but if they'd called a foul. Um, committed against him first, then you know there's no penalty. So yeah, I, I think I think it was definitely a controversial call, but but I can't argue that Wahab fouled the, the player. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, so. you know it's been a rough past couple of weeks for you guys. How's the mentality of the team so far, right now at this moment? No, I think the team is doing as well as they could. I mean, I think there's a good resolve on the team. I think there's a good level of accountability i mean the guys are extremely disappointed and and they're they're committed to getting better and and they show up on the training ground every day to to get better and they have a great attitude and and i think as much as we we uh didn't want to be tested this way this early in the season i think that the trials and tribulations we've experienced um have really shown how how tight this group of guys is and and um you know we're all we're all working together as a team you don't you're you're not seeing any kind of divide you're not seeing you know any kind of 
bad spirit among the team. So um, that's it, it. Continues to be the highlight of my day when I go to work with those boys. You know, so. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Is there any player so far at the start of the season that has surprised you, that caught your attention, that you didn't really think would step up to the level that they have? I mean, I guess, well, I mean, first off, I, I think uh, Matt Spear and, and Dave Buell, I think, you know, they, they spearheaded the, the signings of the players before I joined the technical staff. And then, you know, I was there to to finalize a a lot of the a lot of the uh, final signings with them, but but credit to them. I mean, the the research they did. I think the the outcome of the roster building process was one. They they knew the players well as people as well as soccer players before before anybody was signed, and and then two. I think they also knew the depth of the squad. So um, because of that, it would be easy to say that. There hasn't been any surprises in the season because we we had pretty pretty uh, thorough expectations for everybody. But I would say Nick Redslaff is probably the one that surprised me the most because not not that we didn't have expectations for him because he he um, was very highly recommended by a former teammate of mine and a current coaching director at NCFC. And we did our due diligence with him, just like with everybody else that we signed. But uh, but I think Nick's value to our team has already been bigger than many maybe expected, and I think it will continue to be so. Well, I agree. Ratzlaff has impressed a lot. Um, from what I saw in the Virginia United game, and I can't remember the other game that he played, and he seemed to be – he seems to do a very great job in that CDM role, kind of pushing up to be a yeah. uh, center mid. And he seems to have a, a range of passes that – kind of took me off guard because I thought he was just going to be like a defensive guy and maybe limited passing range, but he seems to have a good passing range. No, yeah, I, I agree. And, I mean, it was actually, the you know, the, the game against Greenville away when Maxi got that um, red card at Lansing and, you know, Nick was thrown into the fire and that was the real first test for him. And, I mean, he passed with flying colors. So, and, I mean, that's – I think that's being him this season. You know, he's – He's kept his composure, whether we've played against a press or, or a deeper block. And, and like you said, I mean, he has a good passing range and has a really good soccer brain. So he, he looks to solve situations with the ball, and, and uh, he has some tools to do that. So a okay. so, couple, of, couple of more questions about South Georgia. Just wanted to know, uh-huh. like, how do you guys stay mentally sharp for 90-plus minutes? You know, there have been some moments where it seems as to fans that, you know, the, the tempo has dipped or, you know, it's kind of seemed like we're kind of just going through the motions. How do you guys stay mentally in it, mentally sharp for 90-plus minutes? Uh, I think it's uh, like most of the work for a soccer coach, to be honest with you. It really happens in training. You know, one of the one of the things people don't always think about is ensuring your team is fit is also really important for being able to stay focused for the last minutes of the game. You know, if you, if you think of this season, um, we had some results early on that were that were created in the last ten minutes of the game, or or even DJ's tying goal against Lansing at home in the third game. Um, so we we have a team that's really fit, and that helps. I mean. You know, all of us know that once you get tired, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Once you get, you're you're starting to lose your focus a little bit. It's easier to become sloppy, and certainly in professional sports, that's increasingly so. 
Um, another big part of in the final minutes of the game is making sure that our players understand our team tactics the best they can. Mm-hmm. So then when they do get tired, they feel confident about, they know what, what they need to do and what's asked of them. And then, you know, the, I, I think the smaller aspects is, you know, in, in coaching, I think it's important to be reasonably knowledgeable in, in sports psychology and some of the tools that you can offer for individual players as well. So I think it's a combination of the things that we do in the training ground and with film and then, then uh, some more specific tools as well. All right. So this is just my personal question. This past mm-hmm. week and the weeks before that, we've had more passes in our own back half than we had in the attacking half of the field. Mm-hmm. What are you guys looking to do with these passes? Are you guys looking to just probe, or are you guys looking just to slow down the tempo? What are you guys looking to do with those passes? Yeah, I mean, that's it's an interesting question, and I understand the logic in asking it. I, I think when you, if, you, if you're looking at stats, just to kind of start off with, um, I believe we had the same – pretty much the same number of passes in Tormenta's half as they did in our half. And we had just about the same number of long passes as well. It's just that we had so many more passes in our own half than they did in theirs that I think that kind of influences the perception a, a little bit. Um, but, you know, zooming out from that, um, a couple of things come to my mind. I think first and foremost, the purpose of possession in our definition is to move the opponent, to cause disorganization in the opponent. So actually each pass we make should be intentional to pull players from their defensive lines to move them so that we can then use and dominate and exploit the space that's exposed with their movement. Now, we, we all know, kickers, fans, and, and players and coaches alike, that right now it's not happening as effectively as we, as we would like to. We know that we need to improve our speed of play and, and also we need to remember what the purpose of possession is. At the end of the day, the purpose of the possession is to score a goal. It's it's the one objective in the game of soccer is to score more goals than the opponent. So our players know that if we make one short pass out of the back and one long pass and create a chance, it's more than okay. It's perfectly fine. So we don't really have a goal for passes in our own half. And we have no intention to keep the ball there any longer than is needed so that we can attack. And and I think the last last thing I would say, people don't often think about it that way, but keeping possession is also a form of defending. So if you look at the Tormenta game as the most recent example, we succeeded in our defensive game plan pretty well, with the exception of the PK, obviously, and allowing a few too many corners. But... Preparing for the opponent, we took away their most dangerous players um, in in the run of play, and and they really couldn't get the ball from us. So overall, our team defending is in pretty good shape, and our defensive ranking is actually third in the league after Tormenta and Greenville. So limiting the time on the ball for the opponent is one part of being a good defensive team, especially for us. So... You know, I, I hope that answers the question. I know it doesn't probably give you everything about it, but at least it hopefully opens it up a bit. So, I mean, you give me about yeah. as much as you probably are legally obligated to give me without giving away the whole game plan away. Right. No, yeah. but, I mean, that insight lets me know 
that it's just not mindless passes. Because one thing that I was kind of having a problem with is that while I was looking at the game, the past two games really, it's just it seemed like the tempo would dip. Oh yeah. At moments, and to me, it just seemed like the tempo would dip, and that's when the other team's attacking chances or dangerous moments would come from. You know, it yeah. seemed like we're a team like when the tempo's high, we're going to going going. No one can stop us, but. As soon as we have those moments, things slow down. It's kind of like we don't know how to get back into that mode. So, yeah. My question is, how do you guys address that before the game, during the game, and possibly after the game with the players? In in terms of the the tempo. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, really similar to the question that you had about the, the retaining the the focus in the last minutes. It it has to be done in the training ground first and foremost. And then in pregame, I think you definitely need to kind of re-emphasize it in our pregame activities, whether it's the off-the-ball dynamic warm-up or the, or the possession games that we play. And then halftime, you can demand it again, which we did this weekend. Um, but the bulk of the work is definitely providing the players with the clarity so that they can think fast and therefore play fast. You know, one of the one of my favorite sayings is that speed of thought allows for speed of play. So, if if the players understand where they're supposed to go with the ball before they already receive it, then they're able to play fast. And then, obviously, it still requires the ability to technically execute the decision. So, um, it is important. Um, I think you know you can establish it with different types of activities in, in training and then it's just a matter of, of uh, keeping everybody uh, tuned in and, and re-emphasizing it and, and demanding it. So, Alright, well we know you guys have an up game, upcoming game against Chattanooga who let me ask you this coach, who do you feel like so far is probably like the kicker's rival? Like who's the team you guys are like yo, we have to beat them no matter what? I just want to add because I mean the league's decided to make Chattanooga the rival by scheduling us four four times against each other. Yeah, but I I I bet if you asked around, a lot of people would probably say Lansing because we we you know and it's obviously it's not a regional rival in any way, but it's just the way that the schedule was made and we played them three times and we we felt really really bad about how those three games went and and uh. You know, in some ways, I think that's a rivalry uh, for the years to come. I, I, I think we really want to, you know, we make the playoffs. I want to play Lansing in the semifinals. Ooh, I, hey, you know what I mean? I like it, Coach. Um, I like and, it. I like and, it. Uh, so for, for us, I think the league already has proven to be a very even league. Mm-hmm. And because of that, um, I think there's less in terms of Who's the rival? Because I mean, the closest team is Greenville. Yeah. Um, so, and you know, we we lost one nothing and we won one nothing. So I think there's a lot of really good, healthy competition around the league, and I think it's a it's credit to all of the staffs around the country. I mean, I think there's, I I think this type of league should should be a fan favorite because I mean anybody can beat anybody, and, and there's some really good players and some high quality coaching. So. Okay. Well, Coach, let's get more into your background. You know, okay. first and foremost, I have to say you have a very, very impressive LinkedIn. Like, it puts minds to shame. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, look, when I was asking some of the Red Army, like, hey, is there any question you want me to ask Coach Micah? 
right. think it was Paige. She was like, yeah, his LinkedIn is like very impressive. Right. <laughs> so one of the first thing I want to ask you, can you talk about your time with ECL, ECNL and the Richmond uh-huh. Spiders? Sure. Um, coaching at U of R was a fascinating challenge, um, quite different from some of my other coaching experiences because of the high academic profile of the institution. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a very unique environment, very selective academically. And, and because of that, the players that you end up coaching are very unique. Um, you know, they're highly ambitious women on the soccer field. So, um, really fascinating and, and a great environment. Um, and my, my daughter's actually going to be a freshman there on the track team this year. So it's, it's funny how the world works. Oh, wow. Um, I, I certainly enjoyed my role. I was the associate head coach there. And, and one of my primary areas of responsibility was our style of play and, and attack. And two out of the four years that I was there, we had top three, top five offensive or scoring performances in the history of the program. So we had some really fun, energetic attacking soccer uh, while I was there and, and I really enjoyed working with and, and developing the attacking players there but so when when the boys ECNL came calling and and I inquired about me becoming the commissioner it was it was interesting because I I mean since I retired from playing playing soccer I went almost straight to coaching and I'd never really thought of the kind of the administrative side mm-hmm. um, so it took some discussions and, and, and interesting conversations, but then it was another unique opportunity that I ended up accepting because of a lot of things, I guess. Probably first and foremost, or primarily because it allowed me to be part of coaching education and player development on the national level. Uh, so the ability to get involved in growing and developing the, the game on a nationwide level was very attractive, and, and I definitely enjoyed my time there even though it was shorter than anyone, anyone, myself included, probably expected. And, you know, if I think of some of the, some of the great experiences that I had, I mean, I was a technical director for the national training camp for Boise CNL in the Bahamas, where we trained and played at the Bahamian National Stadium for five days. Wow. And our, our national selection team played against the Bahamian men's national team at the national stadium, which is usually... They don't even get to train there, so it's a really sacred ground for them. We had FIFA referees and a good crowd, and, and we ended up winning it. So, obviously, you know, a fantastic experience with the young players that we had, and, and obviously the coaches as well. And then um, in the coaching, so, you know, that was a, that's a massive piece of player development for, for boys ECNL to provide opportunities like that. And then um, in December, um, the ECNL coaching education trip to Portugal where we spent a week with uh, Benfica in Lisbon, immersing ourselves in their daily environment and learning with and from some of the top coaches and player developers in the world was also incredible. And, you know, we saw training sessions from U11 to all the way to the U19 and B team and Champions League game, the U19, UEFA champions, quote unquote, youth Champions League match and their B team games and had a chance to interact with the coaches. So, Another really great experience, and, and um, you know, my my time with the boys ECNL was really enjoyable. But 
I also felt that I was missing being on the field every day. And, and so when David first reached out to me and, and, and we started talking about possibly joining his staff, it didn't take long for me to know that my heart was still on the field and, and I needed to get back there. And the opportunity to join the new Kickers Pro organization was very attractive. And, and I, I was excited then, but I'm even more excited right now. So That's what I was going to ask you, you know, because it seemed like, you know, you had this playing career and – you were still coaching, and then this opportunity you to become commissioner of this league. I was going to ask you, like, was your heart still, like, was it itching at you? Like, mm, I want to go out there and coach. And it yeah. seemed like it was. Yeah, no, it definitely was. I mean, it's as much as I enjoy being part of, you know, kind of the big picture planning at the end of the day, you know, I I, I grew up in a, in a, in a blue-collar family and in love with the game of soccer and, and, and uh, I've always felt that my heart is on the field and the, the step away from being a coach and being part of a team just reinforced it. So, um, definitely, but it wasn't, it wasn't a matter of actively pursuing to, to get back into coaching. And obviously, especially with family, you know, it needed to be the right opportunity for me to make the move back. And, and sure enough, the, the new kickers organization, uh, came, came around and, and asked me to do it and, and it all worked out. So, I couldn't be happier right now. Oh, wow. Well, my other question is, I, once again, looking at your LinkedIn, I saw that you uh-huh. have a plethora of coaching licenses. I think you have one from U, U, USF, UEFA. Uh-huh. I think you have yeah. like four or five others. You probably have like a bachelor's degree like of coaches, <laughs> coaching right. titles. But how how would you explain the process to someone like me Mm-hmm. What's the difference between getting your co- coaching license here in America and getting it over in Europe? And is there any correlation between the two? Oh wow, that's uh, uh, definitely a loaded question. Um, I mean, in, in some ways, the process is similar. Um, part of the entry point for the formal coaching education, uh, whether you're in Europe or you're here, is dependent on your player background. If you've played on a high enough level, um, you can be waived all the way up to the B license, uh, which was the case for me in in Europe. Um, I took my UEFA B license when I was the U17 Academy coach um, back home, and, and everybody at that course was a, was either a current or ex-professional player, so the peer group was fantastic. I mean, it was guys who'd played in the Bundesliga, in the EPL, you know, you, you know, in, in all of the top European leagues. Um, and they have something similar in place in the U.S. in terms of the process of um, ex-pros getting getting waived from some of the earlier entry uh, coaching courses. But overall, for, for anybody, I mean, I think it's just a matter of when you start coaching and then you find your first opportunity. A lot of times the 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 E license and the D license, they're, they're done regionally, um, which I think makes a lot of sense. There's some really good coaching educators. And so the, so the process I think structurally is very similar up until the A. And then, uh, there's some, some national differences in terms of how the A course is done, uh, depending on where you are. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm I'm a strong believer in education. So I, I guess, you know, you, you referred to the LinkedIn profile um, a couple of times. I, I guess that shows that as well, you know. So. I definitely understand it. So your playing time in Europe, you said that you played in Finland. Where did you exactly play at? Yeah. So I, I, after I 
graduated from college here. I went to UNC Wilmington. Um, and then when I graduated, I went back and, and I, I signed with clubs in my hometown um, all years that I continued playing beyond college. Um, I, I had some really interesting conversations and contract negotiations with some, some clubs in other parts of Finland and, and in northern Sweden. But at that time in my life, having spent four years in the States, uh, it was more important for me to sign with with teams that, you know, I looked at the roster. There were some guys that I grew up playing. Some of them were coming back. And some my, my hometown is known for uh, developing top-level soccer and hockey players. So... It was exciting to sign with teams where I would be playing with some some of the guys that I grew up playing with, but then also some of the younger players who are coming through the ranks. So being close to home and and then signing with, with clubs that I also grew up playing for uh, took precedence over maybe signing a little bit better better contract financially in, in some other town. So. Do you feel like, you know, your playing career helps you in your career now? Like, do you still play like moments? I, I would not be the coach that I am right now if I didn't have the player career that I did. I I discussed it at length with John Pranich in the 343 podcast, which I highly recommend. John does, a, does an outstanding job with what he puts out there, who he interviews, and, and some of the topics he raises, um, you know, with, with the interviews and, and the insights that they provide. But, you know, briefly, you know, growing up, um, when I was in the, in the latest, or, you know, the last years of academy, when you're in the typical European system where you may train with the first team once a week and, you know, you're kind of getting used to the environment and, and you may get your first team debuts before you're done with the academy. I, I played my first, first game for the first team at 17 years old. And growing up in a very competitive environment where everybody is dreaming that that big dream of becoming a professional player you grow up in a competitive environment you 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 grow up in an environment that's different from american youth environment primarily because there so often isn't that first team so the inspiration the motivation unless it's uh, you know the academies that we know that have it mls and and some of the others in usl um it's an environment where the quality of coaching, the, the soccer education, if you will, is daily and the environment is competitive. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up playing with guys who had far better and, and, and more luxurious careers than I did in terms of as a professional athlete. Um, but then going back after college, um, we had an unbeaten se- season with, with one of the teams that I was just describing where we were completely homegrown, whether it was guys who'd come back or guys who were just getting their first team experiences, and and uh, it was one of the best experiences that I ever had. I mean, it was it was a season where we were heavily possession based, but we were playing beautiful attacking soccer and 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 having fun. And and I think that was an important season for me in terms of future coaching because we were. We, we chose not to go and buy big names, but instead we had coaches who knew how to develop a style of play, how to develop individuals within the team. So for me as a future coach, it gave a lot of confidence. And if, if you know what you're doing and, and, and you, you're able to really develop your players, you're going to develop a great style of play and, and the players are going to enjoy it and you're going to keep winning. And then the other season that was really 
really important for me as a player for future coaching was when when uh, I played for a Dutch man called Theo de Jong. He he played in the 1974 World Cup final with Johan Cruyff. Oh wow! And and he's his brother and Theo they they uh, bought the club that I had already signed with. Mm-hmm. And Theo was the the head coach or the manager as they call it in Europe. And and he basically came to Finland. Uh, and and said uh, we're gonna play total football and you know some people were chuckling and and even ridiculing him as like really you're gonna make these Finnish guys play total football like okay good luck with that <laughs> but it's exactly what we did and it was it was supposed to be my last season um, but after the season I went back to my wife and I said I'm I'm gonna use the player option I'm gonna I'm gonna play one more year and and it, it was too much fun and. And the the training that we had, the the quality of coaching that I received, you know, obviously from someone who's played in the World Cup final with one of the legends in the game, the the credibility was was as high as it could be. And and um, there were many things about the way we were coached uh, from the beginning uh, to the end of the season that have left an indelible mark on me. Um, so. Absolutely. I mean, I, I know that's a long answer. Um, no, it looks. I'm loving talking, it. But, but um, those would be the kind of the three things that I would say why my player career was so beneficial to me. Because on the one hand, it's it's being brought to me, you know, from such an early age because the environment where I was competing as an athlete, competing for starting spots. And I mean, I remember, you know, three three out of the four years in the academy, we won the national championship, and the the year we didn't, when we finished third, we felt like it's too embarrassing to go home. You know, so so that that was kind of the early years, but then going back and playing, um, those couple of years were, you know, very very important beyond those years of the formative years. Wow. Like, I mean, you have a wealth of experience from what, you know, from coaching and playing and even, you know, being a commissioner and everything, so. Yeah. Like, whew. Some would Some would probably say a jack of all trades, master of none. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I do but have I, one I point. I like to think differently anyway, so hey. I'm a positive guy, so. Oh, yeah, definitely. I can tell that, you know, for the first time yeah. we met, you were definitely all positive and smiles. Yeah. Got a little fire to you, though, which I love in a coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I do have one question for you though. Um, mm-hmm. What is your what is your specific role with the kickers when it comes to coaching? Like, are you in charge of? Because I know you you were mentioning before that with the spiders you were in control of the attack and things like that. Is that kind of your same mm-hmm. role with the Richmond kickers, or is it a little bit bigger role? No, I, um, in a way, a bigger role, yes, because David and I, I really really enjoy the collaborative aspect of everything we do from discussing what we need to work on to okay if this is what we need to work on what types of activities to structuring the the you know the the individual training sessions but also looking at okay this week we have to hit these topics so um david couldn't be less hierarchical for all the right reasons um, we have we have a really good chemistry with it, and, and I would certainly extend that beyond just the two of us, even though we're the primary field player coaches, but certainly Ray Smetanic as a voice as well, and Riley Wickman, our data intern analyst, and, and uh, Chloe. So there's there's good synergy, and then as far as my specific role, there's, there's some areas where I spend a lot of time on, and one of them is scouting the opponent. Uh, I 
probably watch between three to five games of each of our opponent every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I come up with um, like a brief video of how how they do their set pieces, whether attacking or defending. Um, we look at that. Um, and then I also do analyze our own games. David and I both do. I think it's very helpful to have two sets of eyes watching, okay, what did we need to do? And, and you know, what, what's the what's the real story of the game? Because the, the limited sideline view during the game doesn't offer you the best possible lens. So we both watch a lot of film. And then uh, one of the things that I oversee is kind of the, the physical um, overall physical side of things whether it's activation warm-ups recovery um it's more my responsibility but again we we look at it together and and david obviously as the head coach is in charge of our overall fitness and strength periodization plan but within the kind of the micro cycles um i'm the one with more of the responsibility in that area and i mean other than that like you said it's probably best described that it's it's broader, it's bigger um, because of the leadership style of David Bulo. So, and, and I mean, to be honest with you, um, I've been a head coach before and I've been an assistant coach before and, and a big part of really the whole organization, why, why I was so attracted to the, the kickers organization is, is the collaborative leadership style. We, we, you know, as an, as an organization, we, we have weekly meetings with everybody um, and, and everybody has a voice within our organization. And, and when David and I started more specifically discussing what my role could be, I bought into the vision of we're going to do it together. Like we're going to do it together as a staff and then we're going to do it together as a team as opposed to what I would call unnecessarily hierarchical approaches to to uh leading a team so wow so how long how far back does you and bulo's relationship go it's actually one of those where with my mileage you know you think like you know when you pass your 40s you you don't think you're going to meet someone who you think you've known for all your life but david and i haven't actually known each other for that long you know we've 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 been acquaintances for you know for almost the time that i've lived in richmond but but in terms of actually knowing it's it's only been about a year so it's just one of those things where you know if you meet someone and you you have enough of shared interests initially you start talking and then you more you talk the more you find out about your your similarities having said that i think now now you know i had a pop-up in my mind and, and one of the most important roles that I have is to ask all the all the questions that need to be asked. So I think one of the things people probably wouldn't think that happens in our coaches' room every day is heated discussions of soccer, heated discussions of a game we watched, or heated discussions of what one of our players should have done in a situation. And, and those are really important discussions because – only if we're able to ask all the difficult questions will we then come up with the best possible plan for how to tackle the, the challenges that all coaches have. And I really appreciate the the it wouldn't happen unless we were so collaborative, if you know what I mean. If if yeah. the, if the if the positions were so hierarchical, 
I would probably shy away from asking some of the more difficult questions. But um, because it's been part of how we've seen the future for our team and, and how our organization is run, um, it's easy for me. So um, I have to ask all of those difficult questions. <laughs> That's, that's, that's my role. <laughs> oh, hey. That's the questions. Seems like a great role to me. I mean, yeah. what I've heard from numerous players is that you have some pretty great stories that you shared a lot of those with us already, but is there any any story you want the fans to know about the team? Any funny stories? Oh, man. I mean, I guess it's because I, you know, I'm, I'm an educator at heart, and I, I think, you know, when you're, when you're talking with, um, players, or if you're talking with students, if if you can find analogies or metaphors or or anecdotes, I think it can help help teach something. So I think that's probably the reason why. That's funny that you've heard that, but that's probably the reason why you've heard it. I mean, on the spot, I don't know. I can't think of anything. I mean, maybe next time we have whatever post game we have, we can we can you know get together with a group of people and we just start talking and they will they will start popping up i mean i <laughs> i grew up in, i grew up in a family with lots of love for music and, and diversity and 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 just lots of conversations and discussions and i am i am uh, passing that on with with the interactions that i have with people so All right. can't think of anything right now on the spot sorry about that no hey you're fine you're totally fine well we do have there's a couple of more questions just a couple of fan questions okay um, so Paige wanted to know, you know, they're making a lot of adjustments to overall strategy and styles of play they've been focused on. As a spectator, it seems like the focus on extremely controlled passing is slowing up the flow and allowing opponents to snipe balls away. Is she being too? She wants to know is she being too concerned, or is it just something that you guys are building on? I don't think any fan is ever too concerned. I mean, that's part of the. I mean, I'll, I'm I'm a fan of the game, and I I I have when I'm watching the teams that I support, I have my own questions and criticisms, and I I I think we as coaches should be fine with whatever questions they have. I mean, they 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 come to support us and cheer us on, and and from their perspective, I I don't think. I, I don't think it would be right for me to say she's too concerned. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, like my perspective, which is more informed than most fans' perspectives will ever be, that that I might have a different view on it, if it, if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But the, the bottom line is I love how informed and, and detailed the Red Army is in their observations and, and therefore some of the questions, you know. Uh, so, you know, of course... We, we have to look at making adjustments. It's I mean, it's it's what every coach should do. I mean, we, we have to analyze win or lose. We have to look at what adjustment we have to make. And sometimes they're bigger. You know, like right now, we I think everybody who follows League One knows that, okay, Richmond has to figure out what adjustments they need to make so that they can create chances and score goals. And sometimes they'd be maybe smaller, but yes, I mean everything has to be considered, and and as part of it, it's our job to consider, you know, how how reasonable each necessary adjustment to make is. So I mean that comes back to the questions that the coaching staff has to ask in our meetings, and we've already made some adjustments within our overall 
tactical reference, and I think some fans probably don't see them because they're such nuanced adjustments, and it's obviously understandable. But but I can also say that don't be surprised if you see some more visible adjustments in the you know in the following weeks or months either. You know, it all it all really depends on the the collaboration of our staff as as well as available players. What what is reasonable to to adjust and 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 uh, expect an immediate return, if you will. Um, the yeah. next question comes from Mr. Matt Myers. Um, mm-hmm. How has your extensive education background prepared you for career coaching? What we already talked about, but he wants to know what advantages does does that have? Yeah. God, I cannot talk right now. See, this is what happens when you teaching all day long. Oh, I know. <laughs> what advantage do you think that gives you over others who might not have it? Well, more, I mean, I, I love the question. Um, most importantly, um, let, let's be let's be clear about you know if somebody has a license or somebody has a graduate degree, um, it doesn't automatically make them better at anything you know i mean we we use the analogy Mm. of you know ask ask a person if he or she has a driver's license and when the answer is yes then the follow-up question is well does it make you a good driver um so in terms of my educational background how it's prepared me for a career in coaching or what advantages it might give me i'd say it's probably combined with my player career it's helped me become a more effective communicator. Probably helped me understand the relationship between the big picture and small details that paint the big picture a little better. Um, it helped me understand the value of patience in the process of teaching, which I think is crucial. And in the in the world of professional sports, is often um, overlooked. I guess um, you know that it takes time to build. Um, it's helped me acquire skills and methods probably that are very useful in modern coaching, like using video analysis and, and what to do with data because there's now there's, there's endless data in mm. soccer as well, but none of the data matters unless you're able to use it and then communicate it to your players. And the worst thing you can do is overwhelm your players with analysis or data because at the end of the day, they're asked to do some of the more difficult things that there there are in life, which is processing things through their brain while they're also running and sprinting and jumping and, and controlling a, a round object <laughs> with their feet. You know, so I mean you can do a lot of damage if you don't know if you just if you just think that you seeing data will help the player. So the communication piece I think is almost of the highest order in, in that regard. Um so that you can you can improve both the individual players and team performance, and then you know I think more I guess zooming out again. I mean it's it's who I am. I, I see myself as an educator first and foremost, just like I see really all the world's best coaches. I mean the best coaches that I had were really good educators because the the things that you learn from them, some of them are explicitly about some specific things in soccer, but. You also learn a lot about teamwork, collaboration. You learn a lot about, you know, implicit things, if you will. So for me, I think it's important to have the mindset of an educator rather than a trainer as a coach. I mean, some I read a quote somewhere some time ago that said that you train dogs, but you educate people. And so for me, the background in education has, has helped me get better 
um, at what I do, and communication is is a big piece of it. Wow, Coach, I got to say you are dropping some true some true gems. All right, thank <laughs> you. So our last question comes from my co-host Shanir. And All right. <laughs> if you ask him, he would tell you he is the world greatest striker. Like that's how confident he is. And sometimes yeah, I'm, I'm hearing that. I'm kind of hearing that in between the lines when I'm listening to you guys. You know, I'm a big fan. So let's go for it. <laughs> um, is it realistic to set aside some time in practice for finishing, or is it something that is left for individuals to hone their skills? So pretty much like what we've seen, and if you ask any team from last year, our biggest problem was we barely took shots on goal shots at all and now yeah. this year it's kind of funny like we're taking shots but they're not I guess as you put them good shots so he wants to know like is you're, it you so guys nice, Elliot. You're, you're so nice man I mean, I mean are you that nice when you're watching it from the stands too I mean that was not a nice shot <laughs> I'm not look this is what I'm hearing from the fans like they're like hey we're taking shots but it's not hitting nowhere and I'm like I mean, you, you just got a glimpse into how, how we communicate within the staff, too. I mean, you, you got to be able to have a good laugh, too. But but in all seriousness, absolutely, it's really realistic to work on finishing and team training. And, and we do it every week, working on finishing. I mean, it has to be a joint effort of team training and players work on their own, both of which we have as part of our team culture. Um, I think it's important that we as coaches design the right type of activities but then the players also need to understand that nobody reaches the potential by showing up to team training only and expecting to just be better and better. Mm-hmm. So um, we've we've definitely increased um, in terms of different types of activities that work on finishing um, in, in the past couple of weeks, and, and today was another another example of that. And, and at the end of the day, Reps in soccer actions like finishing and studying film are really two specific extras that the players need to be doing on their own, but they're also a part of team training. So I, I think they go hand in hand. Okay. Well, hey, I definitely I'm uh I cannot wait to see the results on against Chattanooga. Yeah, I hope so, man. I we're, we're working hard at it. Like I said, the resolve of the team and the the spirit is positive, but but we're also very accountable for our own actions. So we we uh, live to be better tomorrow than we were today, and and uh, we work hard at it. So I, I appreciate all the support, and like like I've said, the Red Army is a backbone of of our team as well. So really, really appreciate all the support. No, no problem. We think you guys going out there every day and fighting. Like you guys have definitely. You guys definitely have the potential. So I thank you so much yeah. for coming on the podcast, Coach, and taking some time out to talk to me today. My pleasure, Elliot. I'll talk to you later. No, nah, no problem. You have a great day, Coach, okay? You too now. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. It's another ad read, but something that is very important. The River City Red Army is partnering with Diversity Richmond to support local LGBTQ community here in the city. The Red Army prides itself on fostering an environment that welcomes all individuals to our section. For every goal scored by the Richmond Kickers in the month of June, five possible matches, I believe, they're going to pledge a few dollars per goal that will go to support Diversity Richmond. Diversity Richmond envisions a community where LGBTQ plus citizens are treated with respect and dignity and their unique gifts are championed and celebrated 
thereby strengthening our community. So, if you want to go help support, go to Pride Razor. Uh, we'll be down in the comments below. You can check out there. Click on the link there and go support. So, hopefully, uh, the kicker score a ton of goals. So, you can pretty much bankrupt the Red Army. That's what we want to happen. All right. What's going on, guys? Welcome to River City 93. I'm your host, Elliot Barr. Joining me, as always, is... Shanir Duran II. And it's midweek. It's about 195 degrees here in Richmond, so humidity is, like, deathly high. Yeah, and not even a lick of breeze coming out. This is just not even any wind to help it out a bit. I think there was a moment yesterday where I sat on my balcony, and I was like, who's cooking bacon? And then I looked, and I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of sizzling. So, yeah, I try to stay inside as much as possible. Smart, look, if you want people to hang out with you, anything past 7 o'clock, I'm not doing it. Unless it's a swimming pool, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, but outside of that, I'm not, I'm not leaving that house. It's too hot. But, um, you know, might be a, you know, the kickers might be a little bit high after last week. So this is... Correct me if I'm wrong, I believe our fifth loss out of six. The only draw being is FC Tucson. Yeah. Um, be honest with you? What the fuck? <laughs> Sorry. I know everybody caught some of young guns, but I'm going to say what's name. What the fuck? <laughs> like, seriously. Like, the first half, I was fine with getting a point, though. I know yeah. that's not the overall objective. Yeah. Want to go there. You do. But... We're in a bad run of form. They're second in the table. They have the best defense for what I saw. I believe their goalkeeper leads the league in clean sheets between him and Naples. I get confused on who leads and what. I would go yeah. and look. But first half, I was like, all right, Twan, we're in it. Second half, we look like a completely different squad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, in second half, everything just like, kind of fell apart. Like, so I, so I did some own research on myself, and I tried to do math, because, you know, I'm married to a math teacher, so I hope I got this right. <clears throat> In games that we lose, we average 135 passes. Four. Our average back pass is 233. In games that we win, we average 150. With the same average being about 233, 234. So back pass is about the same, but passes going forward... Seems to be like if we're anywhere below 150. I mean, I, I basically feel that it's if we can't get <clears throat> enough passes forward, if the other team is frustrating us on passes forward, we cannot get a result out of the game. It, that's what it's looking like. Yeah. So, I, I, again, this goes back to one thing we talked about a couple weeks ago is flexibility and strategy. I mean, if one thing isn't working, you don't say do that one thing better. No, it just what else can work against, say, an informed Tucson or an informed Chattanooga or in this case, an informed Tormenta FC. Yeah. So what what can we bring different? Because the, a lot of times I've noticed that teams that win consistently do so. By adjusting, let's look for example at Tottenham in the second leg of the game the, of the 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 series yeah. against Man City, where at the end of the first half 
Pochettino is like, get me off this roller coaster because things are getting crazy, and he makes changes. I think Poch is still trying to come over now. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that was that was insane, but he yeah, made I mean, changes to adjust yeah. to to how to fix this roller coaster craziness that was happening. Because when it looked like the Ekero, granted, I believe this was his first start all year, mm-hmm. got thrown into the fire. I still don't believe that that is the best position. For I believe Ekenroda is kind of, I feel like Hughes and Ekenroda are kind of like the same player. Like, they great number eight. Yeah, not they're number not, tens. Yeah, they're not tens. Yeah. So, to see Ekenroda up there, I'm like, so we're going really defensive. Like, we're going with still in the midfield, which is great if their goal going plan is nick a point off the road, beat the stuff in the middle. Because it's someone who was sitting there like, yo, like, why are we getting bullied? And that's great and all. <clears throat> But at the same token, it's like I'm starting to wonder, yo, something wrong with Paul Duke. Like, is is he hurt? Is he not? You know, I would love to see. And I'm, I know I'm in a small minority with this. I would love to see a front three <clears throat> of Georgie out on left wing, Bulldog in center attacking mid, and Mbappe out on right wing. Now, Mbappe, as much as I love the guy, and I actually saw him in, in Fulham. Like, I didn't realize how short he was. Dude came to my chest and I was like, "Oh, snap. like you, you, you are tiny." Yeah, it reminds me of uh, the days when we had the players like uh, Sam Asante, you yeah, know. But at the same token, like there was game, moments in the game where he had moments of brilliance, but he can never connect properly with Boateng. Yeah, and I think that's I don't as much as it looks like it's in Wapi's fault. I think in Wapi was trying to feed Boateng, and I and think this Boateng is just not. Used to that. Yeah, he's just not old enough to recognize those situations. Because what it looked like the tactic was, was what we've seen before is kind of like that possessive, but then the occasional long ball over the top to kind of like soften up the defense. Yeah. But it looked like Boateng was just never, he couldn't recognize the situation in which, like, all right, now I need to go strike him. You know, or I need a victim running behind because it looked like he always wanted the ball to his feet, so he would come short a lot, in which means he's not dropping off. Yeah, yeah. I, because there I, needs to be because the formation you look at it is a four two three one, but I feel like it really is a four three two one. one. Yeah, it basically was a four three two one yeah. with Eckenroad sitting a little further back. So it's basically like we were playing with two sixes and an eight with no ten. Yeah, the and old USA system. So when you do that, there's a gap. There's a giant hole in the middle between. The nine, the wingers, and the midfield. There's a giant hole in there, in that pocket of space. And that's where the connection needs to be. That's where number 10 comes into play to connect the play. So if you have someone like Eckenrode who's playing a little more defensively than a, than a Cam would, than a number 10 would, you're not going to be able to connect the midfield to the attack. And so that sideways movement of that, that the kickers are playing with it's never it, you can get from the back line to the midfield doing that sideways moving basically a seesaw up the field but then that seesaw that stuck means, yeah but that means your tempo has to be quick your tempo like, yeah, exactly that too yeah that's and that's the thing in the second half that was like making me so irritated because if if you have players that simply move around like one mm-hmm. player gets the ball and then move and shift and change that's fine but there was mm-hmm. a lot of times it was just be stagnant passes yeah you know, it's kind of just like, what's the example? 
Like, when you play FIFA, and you know they give you the option to free loan or just be stuck in your position. Yeah. But you're trying to figure out, like, right, there's space where you're playing. Like, there's space for the left winger to move in. Why mm-hmm. is he moving in? But then you remember, like, oh, I told him to stick to his position. Yeah. That's what I feel like it is right now when I see this. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah, we can't, we can't. <laughs> like, I'm, I, I'm still frustrated. <laughs> Well, because this is the game we could have won. I mean, to be a devil's advocate with regards to that is especially when you're implementing a new system with a squad entirely made up of new players. You want to give it some time before you start talking about movement freedom with players. You want them to know exactly what you want out of them before you start saying, okay. Yeah, I'm giving you a little bit of liberty. Is it still the point of making sure that you still have flexibility in the system? Because yeah. Really, like, when, like, what's the one that we always hear about when kids are learning how to play soccer? It's like, let, let them play. Don't yeah. Be yeah. But that, that's why I feel like it's... That, that's why I feel like it's hurting. Yeah, so I mean, it's like I say, never say I mean, never in soccer. Yeah, I mean, but then also it's like to the standpoint of now, granted, Coach Micah, who I did an interview with yesterday, you guys are going to listen to that soon. Um, he made a great point about how when you play 90 minutes, and granted, we've all played soccer, your legs are tired, you're done. Oh, yeah. But he also talked about still being awake in those moments to recognize yeah. the situation. Because I asked him about Mental the sharpness. Yeah, I asked him about the penalty, and I was like, was it a penalty? And he said, yeah, it was. But yeah. I let it walk. It was a penalty. It was. But when you got there in the field, <laughs> now granted, Way he shouldn't have tossed old boy after he fouled him, but ref don't call that. It's pretty yeah. much the rule of don't put the game in the ref hands. And that's exactly. What we, that's what we yeah, do. we we put the game in the ref's hands, and th- those are the situations where you. Here's the thing, and this is this is why a lot of times I feel that us as fans we can do the players a disservice because what. Akwe exhibited there with that is that never say die, never back down, never get intimidated attitude that we love about him so much. If you're going to pull me, I'm going to pull you back. And at the end of the day, we want to say we get mad when if it were the other way around and Akwe were to pull an attacker and that attacker would just throw his arms up and go down. Oh, we'd get mad at that player for doing that. So can we get mad at Akwe for... Dishing no, no, what he I got. I don't, I don't think he's getting mad at because, <laughs> to be quite frank, like you can ask anyone out that plays soccer with me. My stat line pretty much reads: two clearances, six fouls, <laughs> possible red or yellow card, depending on how pissed off I am. <laughs> so I understand. But to the same point of like this, that, but that this, that's two games that we lost off of penance, where we had to draw the OCB game and mm-hmm. this game. Two mm-hmm. games we had draws. Yeah. And then Shadowski had two yellow cards. One one yellow card I can understand because I, from what it looked like to me, he's just getting back. He's trying to like stop the ball from getting, like from us getting scored on again. So he takes the yellow card, mm-hmm. and then the yellow card comes right quick. Then I feel like a moment of frustration. Yeah. To me, as a defender, at that moment, I'm like, I get it. it. I get it. I get it. Because I'm not gonna lie to you, like yo, as a defender, like. It's weird talking to people like you. You're you're an offensive person. I know you. Um, Sh- Shane. Hey, I played Shane. as a fullback. 
I played as a fullback. Yeah, and you need to get like a Marcelo. <laughs> You're more winger than fullback. <laughs> but like, the thing about it is like when you're a defender, you see when your team is just like mentally out of it. So like as a defender, it's like, yo, I got to do something. Mm-hmm. Like I got to make a tackle. I got to do something to get some kind of spark. Yeah. Now granted, should he have done that? No, he shouldn't. He shouldn't have gotten into yellow. But... His hand was kind of forced by the rest of the team's yeah. performance in that moment. Yeah. I, yeah. The red card is not the biggest thing. The thing about it was it was just really like... Because if we execute those back passes, if we're not only having 98 passes on attack at half and kind of playing off, like it's kind of feel like right now the team is more reactionary than proactive. Exactly. And that's why I feel like the whole swift change is. Yeah, defensively, there needs to be more of a, of a sense of anticipation. And I don't know if that'll come with time. I mean, defensively, anticipation comes with experience. Being able to know, okay, that it looks like this player is going to do this. So let me put myself in a position so that if it does happen, I'm there. Yeah. I mean, and that, that comes from kind I mean, of stopping yourself from ball watching. It's not like we've had massive rotation in the lineup besides that number 10 spot. Because outside of Joey G, it's been Hughes, Eckenrode, Eckenrode. Uh, that's about it, right? And the number 10 spot for our corner? No one else has really played. Bulldog here and there, but then Bulldog came in like, oh, Greg. Yeah. Greg. Um, but the back four has been the same. Goal kicker has been the same. Wingers more or less has been the same. Um, and striker's kind of been tossed up. So, yeah, so to, the middle has been what's yeah, been changing around yeah, a lot. And, that, and when you really look at it, like, um, shout out to my friend Jason from League One Fun, he kind of pointed it out. And him and Ira pointed out that when you look at the teams at the top half of the table, mm-hmm. the reason why there's such a separation between them and the teams at the bottom half of the table is because you have a clear number 10 and a clear striker. Yep. There you go. Like, you, you have that. Yeah. You have, that partnership is cemented. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know who's putting the goal in the box, and you know who's supplying the goals. Exactly. We're lacking that right now. I feel like our best number 10 is somewhere hurt. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. he's not. I would love to see him play against Chattanooga and have three assists. Yeah. And whatnot. Um, but let's get off that game, because I think I attached you know, like a rant. It was like, yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> But shout out to the hometown kid, Eli Lockerbie. He got team of the week. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I was shocked when I got the text from USL League One, like Eli Lockerbie is in team of the week. Like, yeah. I chose someone? I say I don't believe our players good, but they are. But just like After what with what has happened. Yeah. Well you you have to take into consideration I mean this would be literally one slight just moment of Mental fatigue is what cost us this game. Yeah. Just that moment of, I I think, just allowing the fatigue to affect how you control your temper in the split second with Akwe. Just he's pulling me. I'm gonna pull him back. So I mean, then, much, I mean, that's much. basically it. <laughs> you know, you know what this power reminds me of. It is probably gonna be like a funny analogy to someone. It's kind of like they did this Rodman foul. Let me talk about that. Ron Artest. Ron Artest, yes. <laughs> like, Ron Artest was the, was the player. Like, yeah, he'll follow you. But it was like, when Ron Artest got fouled, people was like, 
Solid. He is very, very solid, and I, I like him. I like him. To, to be honest with you, I think unless he says, "Coach, I need maybe a day, maybe a game to take yeah, a break, honestly, keep him at right that. back." I don't, I don't see him saying that. But of course, I mean, as a coach, you also need to notice that most players wouldn't say that, even though they do need it. But Lockerbie, unless he needs a break or is injured, he needs to be playing consistently at the right back position. Oh, yeah. he, he, has a, he has a lot of flair to that side of the side Yes. Of the and him and Moape have been linking up well. I, I mean, I think they have an understanding with each other on how to, how to move forward, how to attack, and how to help each other on the attack. And it's, it's, it's awesome on that so, side. I'm not going to lie. Also, about this game, this is going to be the last point about this game. I got my wish about having Tori or CDM because remember I was I think I'm the only one in that mountain about having Tori or CDM. Yeah. I like it, but I feel like if you play Tori as that soul center, that soul center. Him and Maxi did well. Let's put it like that. Yeah. But I feel like if there's more of an attacking option in front of him, but pretty much like a, a cam and not just a center mid, I feel like you get more out of Tori. Because I feel like he did add a level of toughness to that to the defense. He did. He like, did. And he did as usual. Dirty, he did <laughs> dirty work. I mean, he had, what, 90, um, 90 passes completed. Granted, um, he was more of the number eight. I think Maxie was more of the number six because a lot of his passes was in the back half. But he won four duels. <laughs> of course, in true Troy fashion, he had two fouls. Um Three successful tackles, one one aerial duel, and had ten recovery. So he's yeah. pretty much the mop up man back there. I, Basically, you know what? That's Troy's new nickname. Clean the air, mop up man. Mop up man. Yeah. Clean up crew. I mean, he's already he's already the warrior. <laughs> yeah. We can clean up too. Clean and crew. Clean and crew. Just like in uh, what was that, John Wick? <laughs> 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 Just make sure Troy doesn't have a dog. <laughs> yeah. So, moving on, we play against uh, the team in the Old Man Derby. If you saw us on Twitter today, we were talking about it, joking with soccer, uh, soccer chat, pretty much about what should be the trophy for this rivalry game. I was saying it should be a uh, uh, walking cane, <laughs> and then they were like, it should be a like bag of like um, caramel candies. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the Old Man Derby because like both our teams are like old. Yeah. So like, um, but they come off. They won the last three out of four. Unfortunately, they beat us two nothing. Yeah. Two goals off of defensive mistakes and like a freestyle free kick that still to this day irritates me. Yeah. 
I, I'm not gonna lie. Like, yo, if I was close, I would have been like, yo, hey, time out. <laughs> I know there's that time as a soccer, but I would have been like, yo, hey, time out. <laughs> We're not doing this. Yeah. We're not doing this. Yeah, no, that was that was tough to see. It was like, tough. Like, if there was see. any moment for anyone just to, like, you know, get a yellow card for just roughing the passer, I know roughing the passer in the reference. Please do not tweet me. I know that is making a reference. <laughs> that would have been the moment. <laughs> yeah. That would have been the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they come off a 3 2 win against Greenville. Stephen Beatty, I believe, had the third ever hat trick in League in, One. In League One history. So, the other two belong to North Texas. By the way, you know, Pepe's going to North. He's going to FC Dallas. Just permanently? They're taking him up there permanently? Look, or are they just calling up for a couple of games? No, he played. He signed an MLS homegrown contract. Uh-huh. And then they played Wednesday against FC Tucson. And he was in the stands. So now let's know, like he's there. He's in FC Dallas. Yeah. So the witch is dead. <laughs> but, you know, Ronaldo Demas, the league lead scorer with eight goals scored. So yeah. we have to worry about him. <laughs> we that yeah. But let's talk about the Shadow thing. How you feel about it? I think this is an opportunity. Um I've noticed that the effect of home and away, especially when it's a local home and away, hasn't really had much effect on results with most of the teams in this cluster of areas. Oh, yeah. Like, this is, I wasn't going to say, like, if anyone is looking to become, like, a soccer fan, watch League One. Yeah. Because there is literally every team, I know the original kickers have not won in six games, but any team can beat any team. Yeah, basically. I mean, when Outside you look, of, yeah. Orlando City B are in last place, but they're tied with us on points. And literally, we're six points from playoff spot. Yeah. At 12 points, we're six points from playoff spot. And there's still plenty of games left to go. Yeah. So, I mean, the gap between first and last is a very small one. Um, the, the league is, is much more competitive than I would have expected. And, I mean, of course, we see that North Texas is kind of, North Texas and, and, and Torment are kind of pulling away. But, I mean, with North Texas, you can understand why. It's the same with South Georgia. Right? Yeah, same with South Georgia. You can understand why with those two teams. But still, it's just. Still a whole bunch of parity. Yeah, it's still a whole bunch of parity. And North Texas already still have two losses. They have more losses than Tormenta. Yeah. I mean, so what are you looking for out of this game? Like what outside of the win that we all want, what are you looking for? I'm looking for a more decisive front four. Um something that can convince me that we're going for it a little more. Because like you said, with Eckenrode playing as a ten or quote unquote ten, kinda it doesn't convince me that we're going for it. It's like we're playing a defensive four two three one where. Yeah, I, I agree you know. with that, but I think it's more in the case of uh, I was making this case on Twitter. Mm-hmm. It seemed like the kickers are stuck in two months. Like we want to be this great defensive team because granted we have one of the best goalkeepers in League One. Yeah. You have a solid back four that doesn't get a lot of entries, so it's the same starting four that they know each other now. You know, granted Shinazi's not really playing. I think. Um, I think that's going to be coming in against this week. Yeah. But it's the same, it's the same back four. I mean, but that, then 
But, you know, Ivan gives you a different element. He gives you a little more mobility than, than Shinovsky does, but uh, I would prefer Shinovsky. Yeah, but Shinovsky got it right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Ain't no point. But I feel like, yeah, back to my point, we're stuck in two minds. We want to be this great defensive stalwart team, but then there's also, like, you want this possession style that's attacking. Yeah. But when you play possession, this is me. Like, I'm not... Not claiming to be as smart as Coach Bula when it comes to coaching. Not claiming that. Mm-hmm. But when it look when you say to me like we're playing possession, that means that you are playing a game where it's you have to stay mentally tuned in for long periods of time because you want yeah. to move the ball. Yeah, you're looking to probe. You're looking to have passes that are penetrating. But when you're playing that deep, because you're worried about being defensive. You can't really be attacking. Now, if this possession is happening in front of an 18-yard box or in that half, that's different. Yeah. But when it's in your own half, it's kind of like the other team is just like, all right, that's cool. You can pass back there, but all right. It's pretty much like you're playing basketball, but you're at the half court line just dribbling. Yeah. Like, defense is like, all right, that's fine. Shot clock's going down. Exactly. You can do that. That's fine. We're going to get this rebound and go score. Yeah. You're going to be down. And that's why I feel like we're all right now because it's like if that possession is pretty much moved up, not even like to the top of the eighteen foot, just twenty yards. Just twenty yards, then you're you're asking then questions then, of the then, other then, team. Then it's a different game because yeah. then the defense is like, yo, we are sports game. Like, make sure you cover that. Make sure you cover here. Not like, not like the CDM. Like, all right, I can ease my way up there because mm-hmm. I know they're not going to be penetrating. Yeah. Like, so that's why I want to see. Yes, look. I'm all for winning the game at any cost. Yeah. Like, I know there were some people that were making some kind of point that the U.S. won 2-1 over Spain because of two PKs. And be like, oh, they're supposed to be better. How do you win on two PKs? You win the game at any point. Ain't no one caring if you won off PKs. They did yeah. you won. Yeah. Like, no one's caring. But what I want to see is... I would love to see a tempo and a tactics change. And that's something like drastic, but just like tweaks. Yeah. So that way I know like, all right. We're going for it. We're trying something. It's, it's something different. Yeah, improvement is getting better. Because how many teams have you seen that won a game, but the tactics the tactics have been crap? Like what we did with Bay United, for example. Mm. Second year, we were winning games. We're at the Europa League. I mean, we had to, we had to His whole point was, you brought me here to win. We won but what do you hear the fans say? The style of football is horrible. This is crap. That's yeah. crap. But that's what I'm saying. Like, not saying that I have a problem with that, but what I want to see from kids is just one, move the ball up 20 yards up the field. Also, tempo. And then my Quicker. last Yeah, my last one is when we have set pieces, I think we had a total of we haven't scored a set-piece goal this year, but that's because a lot of our set-pieces go back in possession. Yeah. And then what, I think I saw one that was kind of dangerous, but it, it didn't hit anyone, but it was like a dangerous ball into the 18-yard Yeah, place. yeah. So, you know, take advantage of those opportunities. True. Uh, I understand playing the ball back on some set-pieces, but yeah. that one's where it's like we're 30 yards in. Why are you playing the ball back behind the back, back line? Yeah. There's no point. Play that. Play that. I was about to cuss again. Play that forward. <laughs> play that forward. Yeah, just play it forward. Just put it. 
I mean, okay, yeah, I understand that we don't have an average tall team. So, you know, maybe lumping it into the box, maybe not. But at least try and work the ball forward. Work it. Uh, ask yeah. questions of the defense. Ask, I'm saying a lot of like, as a defender, I hate running backwards to where I'm on the road. That yeah. scares the crap out of me. Me too. Me too. But when I see a team playing it backwards, I'm like, oh. <laughs> Let's go forward. Let's go forward. <laughs> <laughs> I can ease my way out of here. And that's what I'm saying. You're taking the pressure off them when you put them in a pressure situation. Yeah. So, I, I, feel like I, I feel like this has been an episode where I've been ranting. It's been pent up anger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's frustrating. But we still need to remind ourselves that we need to be patient. We need to try and be patient. I mean, look, being patient is fine. It is. Look, we know, and I was making this point to you earlier, like, it's like, I'll, I'll use U.S. soccer as an example. Yeah. You have fans that can separate the two. There's U.S. soccer, the federation, and then there's U.S. soccer, the team. Yeah. I'm one of them. I separate. The organization's crap. Yeah. I can make a whole list. Of what <laughs> of needs to be changed. <laughs> the team, the team is a separate entity. Yeah, team, the team is a separate entity. The team has got like something going for the it. They're trying to work on I'm something. I'm patient with the organization because of what they All the changes that they've made to. Out. Yeah. But on the field, it's like, all right, guys, this is game 12. You got to know by now. Like, we passed the stage of, hey, my name is this, my name is that. You like this kind of drink? Like, this kind of bubble gum? We passed that stage. Yeah. You should all know each other by now. You're practicing you know, every day. You should know, like, who is... You should know, for example, like, all right, Shinazi likes playing the ball off his right to this side. Mm-hmm. Maxi drops back in this situation. Joey G likes being aggressive in these situations. We should, we, we should know that by now. Yeah. So, I feel like... Yes, I, I'm always going to root for this team. I am, no matter what. This is my team. This is my club. Yep. I'm all about supporting local. I just want... I'm, I'm tired of seeing my brother, a.k.a. the kickers, get their butts kicked. Yeah. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, I'm getting there. bullied and, and you can't do anything can't about do it. Anything. So yeah. it's like, ah, I can't, I can't do anything. That's, that's yeah. what I feel like. So yeah, <laughs> but yet yeah, hopefully they 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 figure something out with regards to pushing that ball forward, and also kind of giving giving us a more of a an attacking threat because at this point right now it still looks like it's just let's hope Joey G does something, yeah. and maybe Mwape can cut in on the on so that I think we have right side. concerned, but there's still. It's, there's room for improvement. There's room for improvement, but there's, win, there's time. All this changing, this is just, it's just a rut that they're going through, yeah, maybe. It, you it, know? It in, but in other news, USL talks about adding some new teams. This came from Nupron, Chapron, probably butchers name. You can find it on Twitter. Um, great follow for lower league soccer and soccer in general. He talked about New England, your home. Yep. I'm going to come back to that one. <laughs> Riverside, California, and Miami are looking to bring in League One teams. Yeah. Miami, it, Miami team is interesting because not only do you have Miami FC, Miami something, but you have 28 independent teams in Miami. You got a whole bunch. Yeah. That's, yeah. Is that team going to be paired with 
um, into Miami, David Beckham Senior. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting to see. And then the New England club will then be paired with with the, um, the Revolution. I was about to call it the Patriots. <laughs> same <Yeah>. stadium. <laughs> same owner. Same owner. Same stadium. Yeah. I wonder if there's like a right in for him to have a brothel. My bad. I should have brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe in a separate locker room. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then you have Riverside out of California. Um, who will be the league one side. So this is an indication to me that the team is looking to that the league is looking team to go east west, I'm assuming. Because if this all goes through by the start of next year, you have looking at sixteen teams. Sixteen teams. Another and then the potential rumors about Regine United coming up that will possibly be seventeen. Three other teams dropping or coming up from League Two or coming down for the championship. Yeah. I mean, it's still too early to see. This is all he's speculation. Yeah, this is all speculation. It looks like League One is setting itself up to kind of mirror what the championship is doing. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense if yeah. you're going to be having, hopefully, further down and the I line. And I think maybe. the commission of the league has hinted at, you know, pro rail. Yeah. Which... If that happens, I get, I guarantee you, City Stadium is going to be packed, game in, game out, just because it's program. Just because it's program, yeah. But the thing that they need to understand is that I feel that if ProRail does come into the USL, it won't be the ProRail that we're used to. That's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so some people might still be upset about it, but... Whatever. Yeah. Look, you ain't gonna lose everyone. Right? You gotta learn that lesson early on. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. But we do have some great news for our listeners out there. July 9th, the Richmond Kickers are going to Lionsbridge for an exhibition match. Well, I messed that whole sentence up. They're going to Newport News, Virginia to play Lionsbridge in an exhibition match July 9th. Yeah. And we are making our first ever road trip. We're going down to that game. Yep. So if you're going down there, let us know. We'll have be glad to have you on the podcast. Find us. <laughs> yeah, find us. Look, trust us. We're gonna have we're we're waiting to pay you to get t-shirts made because you know I'm a teacher. He's a soccer coach. <laughs> but don't grow on trees in our professions. Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> they just have to get paid first. But hey, we're looking. We're looking. Um. So if you got any suggestions of pregame spots we should go to, bars we should go to. Hit us up. Let us know. We are all looking forward to it. Um, and with that being said, guys, you can follow us on Twitter. Huh? Oh. My bad. USA. Yeah. We won, what, 2-1 against Spain? You 2-1 one against Spain. You cut that whole part out, right? Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, cool. All right, so USA won 2-1 over Spain. Um... I'm not gonna lie, I didn't watch the game after 15 minutes. I left work, and I just never thought about tuning back in to watch the game. Yeah, it was I, it was a bit frustrating. It was a bit yeah, frustrating. That's why I saw on Twitter, but then I don't know. Maybe because I didn't watch the game, I was just like, I felt like they were just going to the motions. It it was, I think at first, because of how possession based Spain normally play. USA caught themselves trying to skip the midfield 
and get those long balls out to Rapino and and Oh yeah, Spain, Spain is going to be a force to deal with. But the thing is, Spain didn't play possession. They just played very, very physical. I mean they they the possession was basically USA's, but they were basically looking for the long balls over the midfield and to the wingers and Spain was able to capitalize on that. And anytime the ball came anywhere near Alex Morgan, somebody was taking the legs out. Yeah. So but I mean, you know my rule when it comes to defending. No blood, no foul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean I This is probably why God has never made me a proper coach. Because <laughs> I would be I would be I would probably be the dirtiest coach in the game. <laughs> oh, I would, oh, I would be the dirtiest coach. Yeah, nah. <laughs> like I would have just tacked his drawing off for playing down the man. Because I know, I'm gonna tell one of my defenders, hey, you see him? Take things. Just full bloom slide tackle. Just do it. So the team will know how to play with ten men? Yeah, exactly. We we will already we will lose more games with eleven men than we will with ten men. That's that's probably more of us coach. But USA men won six nine over Trinidad and Tobago, which some fans are like not as big. Does it mean anything? I mean, it means that we're definitely moving on to the next round of the Gold Cup. I mean, I don't understand how a tournament the game doesn't mean anything. Aspect. How does it not? Because of Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago was the straw that broke the camel's back, making us miss the World Cup. I'll it's just, symbolically, honestly, psychologically, I'll, it honestly, should have an effect. I will say this. That Trinidad and Tobago game was the thing that U.S. soccer fans needed to be more aware of the game of soccer. Yeah. Because up to that point, we have just gotten accustomed of, well, let's just make the World Cup. You always have those fans every four years who are, just make the World Cup. I'll turn them in. Mm-hmm. But then after that moment, and granted, I was following soccer. I started watching soccer in 2010, watching it a lot in 2014. Mm-hmm. So when this World Cup came around, I was following Twitter, but people weren't really talking soccer like that. They were kind of just like, oh, this is going on in Europe. Yeah. But then when we missed it, I don't know what happened. It was like a nuclear bomb went off. Yeah, because everyone, everyone hit the panic button. Yeah, everyone started. Because it's like, wait, what? USA's not in the World Cup? But then we started paying attention to something we normally wouldn't care about. Exactly. We started, and that's what I'm saying. Like, it needed to happen. Yeah. If it wasn't going to happen at that moment, it was surely going to happen down the line. Yeah. So it's like... And I mean, another thing we need to... This is something where I know a lot of people want U.S. to have the uh, DOS reboot moment, like the book, like the book about how Germany rebooted, I think, after the 2002 World Cup. Mm -hmm. We probably won't get a book for another 10 years, but I feel like that's the moment where U.S. soccer restarted. Yeah, and that's the moment that U.S. soccer needed because now we are having conversations. You are getting more people, i.e., us, involved in the game because before we were getting all our news and all what we got from sources like ESPN, The Sun. We didn't know any better, you know. Mm-hmm. We're just learning about the game, but now it's like we're taking the due diligence to learn about the game, to learn about the game, to learn about what's going on within the USSR. Yeah. So in fifteen years or twenty years, when USA wins the World Cup. I want to invite that 2070 Trinidad and Tobago team and be like, thank you. 
You've done this. Yes, yeah. you me. you gave us the wake up call we needed <laughs> to realize that. Trophy. And I mean, I think what the the problem had been was USA had said, "Let's leave well enough alone." For the longest time, USA said, "Oh, we make the World Cup, we're fine," and progress stopped yeah. with U.S. soccer. What we didn't realize is that no one else was stopping. So while we stopped, everyone else kept moving forward. Eventually, it got to a point where we are nowhere in that league anymore. Yeah. We haven't gotten worse, but we haven't gotten better to keep up with the rest of the world. Yeah. So now we've got, we've got some catching up to do. Yeah, we've got a lot of catching up to do. We've fallen behind drastically. Yeah. So un- unless we can, we can you know, capitalize on... On, on, on fixing those mistakes, it, it's going to be a long slug to get back to where we were before. Like if you look, for example, at the 2002 and the 2006 World Cup, where we actually did got to the group, st- got to the out of the group stage into the knockout rounds, played you fairly know, honestly, decently. I just need U.S. soccer to just embrace the underdog world, just embrace it, because that's what we do better. Like anytime we go into any competition with expectations, we do horrible. Yeah. It's not a lot, but I'm just saying. Just, yeah. Just embrace it. Yeah. You want the underdog. Yeah. Embrace it. All right. Yeah. Well, I can finally do the wrap up now. <laughs> <laughs> you can check us out on Twitter at RiverCity93. You can like us on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocketcast, Radio Public, Anchor FM, and of course, the Beautiful Game Network. We want to say thank you to our sponsors at go to go Press, the best source for your custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items just for yourself or organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price at go to gopress.com. Also, thank you to Roughneck Scars, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USO, US Soccer. Get your custom scars for your group or team at roughneckscars.com. So, with that being said, this is Elliot. That's your air. It's hot. Keep us on the good side, guys. Oh. Uh.